Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. Yes. Hello, podcast listeners. Happy to be here with you today. We are fresh back from a trip to New York City for a funeral of a friend, and it was a very blessed experience. Yeah, we we live in Pennsylvania, and it was, well, it should be about a three-hour drive. We had a lot of traffic getting there, so it was a little longer, but yeah, yeah anyway, we it's not super far away for us, but we don't go there often nonetheless. Yeah, and living in the country... We spent a night in the hotel because the funeral was early the next morning and we didn't want to have to wake up the wee hours to drive to New York City. So we got a hotel in the middle of the city, right near Madison Square Garden. And oh my goodness. It was so shocking to Construction us. Construction oh. all night long. Yeah. Jackhammers. Oh man. And then like big, big construction vehicles going in reverse. With those warning beeps, you know, beep, beep, oh, no. beep, beep, right? <laughs> we're on the 14th floor yeah. of this hotel, but it might as well have been right outside our window. So coming back, we are so happy to have the sounds of the country, which are just, I mean, not even this time of year. Maybe once in a while you'll hear a bird. <laughs> and then we have those, as we said in a previous episode, we do once in a while during the winter have those. What do we call them, Wendy? Bird conventions. Bird conventions, indeed. <laughs> so, no, the sounds of birds. I'll take the sounds of birds. And in the summer, we have crickets that are just... Crickets and cicadas get so loud in the summer, but they become sweet melodies that put me to sleep. And I imagine, I suppose, if you live in Manhattan and that's your thing, like even the sounds of all the honking horns and jackhammers and large construction vehicles in the middle of the night could become a certain lullaby, I suppose. Or maybe you get um, some earplugs, which we didn't have. That might have been helpful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, I, I would imagine that can could become yeah. familiar. Just, yeah, familiar, familiar to people. Yep. And, and even That's true. In, in as much as it might be familiar, well, we remember when we first moved to the country 18 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the quiet the was a quiet little was surprising. A little surprising and, and even disturbing. I remember our first night we spent yeah. in this house. It was so quiet. I was having trouble sleeping. Yeah, that's and true. And then we got awakened by a, a bird that was pecking on the window. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> yes. We called him Peck, didn't we? Oh, yeah. And then Peck died. Poor Peck. He pecked a little too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Peck flew into the window too hard, at, you know, trying to kiss his own reflection and Met his demise. Yes. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. At least at length. We do like, we do, everybody knows we like to do a little banting at the beginning of our podcast. But there's our banting. We're going to move right along. Would you like to hear a question? Let's hear a question. This is from an anonymous patron. What should a person do if they find themselves attracted, not merely in a sexual way, but a much deeper and total attraction? body and soul to someone who has already committed their life like a priest or married person is it even possible to change this eros into filio 
or perhaps that is an incorrect way of looking at the situation. At any rate, how do I practically learn to love rightly without falling into sin when Eros is involved? Beautiful question. This is a reflective person. This is someone who's really honest in... Do we, have, do we know if it's a man or a woman? We don't. Yeah, this person, male or female, being very honest in his or her just looking at what's going on interiorly. And that's the first step to keeping things in their proper boundaries. Honesty. Honesty with what is going on in your heart. Um, and I, I like also this person's catching whether it was the right way to express it. Um, we have this idea, and I don't want to project this on the person, maybe this isn't exactly where this person's coming from, but we can tend to think Eros, oh, oh, if there's Eros involved, oh, oh, trouble, trouble, trouble. Uh, there's Eros involved, and Eros is just problematic and maybe even wrong in itself. Um, and that's something we, we want to, and as this questioner caught him or herself saying, maybe that's not the right way to put it. The, the questioner said, how do I transform this Eros into, f into philia, the you know, which would be a brother-sister love. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we don't, there are distinctions to be made, but we don't want to, we don't want to have the distinction being Eros is that bad, dangerous kind of love, and Philia, this brother-sister love, is, is A-OK. -okay. Because there's danger in all kinds of loves. We're, we're fallen, we're broken. And I also want to just point out, also in the way the question was posed, there's a danger of, of, she said this goes, he or she said this goes deeper than sexuality. Um, I, I would just challenge that one as well, just put out a caution, because there's a sense that we limit sexuality to the physical, and then once we reach the spiritual realm, we're not in the sexual realm anymore. And that's not a proper understanding of sexuality. As as John Paul II said, and this is right out of his document, Familiaris Consortio, he says, sexuality is by no means merely biological, but concerns the innermost being of the human person. The innermost being, right? So sexuality is not just something physical or biological. It concerns the deepest stuff of our humanity, body and soul in our integral whole. So all of that said, let me add some something. Do you want to say first anything, Wendy, about those points I was just making before I venture on? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the questioner may not be necessarily confused about that, although I think, you know, it is a good point to make. But it's it can be hard, and when you're writing your question, maybe you're not thinking with all the, you know, categories. Maybe what that meant is just not merely in a physical way or not, in a lustful way, you know, like just trying to get at when, when they say not merely sexual, it, it could just be a way of, it's a hard thing to put words it is, to. It is a hard thing to put words to. And I, we, you know, understand that it is tricky to do. Um, yeah, but I think, yeah, go on. Okay. So I want to say this genuine love is never sinful ever. Let's, let's just sit, let's just sit with that for a little bit. Genuine love is never sinful. 
In fact, when we love, we fulfill the law, as St. Paul says. When we love genuinely, we're fulfilling everything God wants of us. Of course, what does it mean to love genuinely? And here we often confuse, this is language out of John Paul's book, Love and Responsibility, we often confuse the subjective profile of love with the objective profile of love. Ooh, what, yeah. I haven't heard you say those things before. Well, I've been re-immersing myself. You've been reading Love and Responsibility. Go for yeah, it. I'm okay. excited. So the objective profile of love means what is objectively true about love. The subjective profile of love has to do with what I'm experiencing interiorly. For example, if I, as a married man, were to claim that sleeping with another woman was an expression of genuine love, I would be living from the subjective profile of love without allowing it to be shaped by the objective profile of love. Mm. And that would be pure subjectivism, right? That's, that's just, I, I am basing my understanding of love on my feelings okay, so rather than on objective reality. Subjectivism meaning focusing, like making your own experience like the rule. Or right, the, correct. Okay. Making my own interior feelings uh, the norm for what love is. Okay. And as soon as we do that, we are in the dark and we are fooling ourselves. Mm. We have to have an objective profile of love, uh, again, in the language of John Paul II. What does that mean? It must accord with what love is, objectively speaking. And the truth of love, objectively speaking, is fully revealed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross when he says, this is my body given up for you, for you. This, this sacrifice of self for the other. So in, in answer to this person's question, what, can you read? There's a, like the final couple lines where she's getting right down, he or she is getting right down to it. Yeah. How do I practically learn to love rightly without falling into sin when Eros is involved? Okay, great, great question. Now, because we are, we are prone towards this subjectivism in love, where we can fool ourselves and think what's going on is genuinely love, and I, I can speak from experience here. Uh, I've had certain experiences with people over the years during our married life love where I was in a ministry situation and and there were some emotional boundaries that were crossed that were not in keeping with the objective truth of love. But I was fooling myself because I, I just kept saying, well, I'm, I'm doing ministry. Of course, I love this person. And there's there was truth there. There was genuine love there. But my my heart got out of whack. And I was I was feeding off this quote ministry experience in a in an unhealthy way, and one of the boundaries that helped me recognize, or one of the the objective measures of what helped me recognize that imbalance was bringing this to your attention. Mm -hmm. um, and you, what you felt in your heart about it, helped me to recognize. Oh, something is off in my heart here. So I would say to this person, 
share what you're experiencing with an objective third party. Share what these feelings are in all their detail, without hiding anything, with an objective third party who can shine a light for you that we, we need this. We can't figure all this stuff out on our own because we are, we are prone to sometimes fool ourselves. So in entrusting the details of what you're feeling, what you're experiencing with the third party, and getting a genuine objective perspective on it, there, there may be a challenge to your heart. And indeed, when our hearts are subjectively off, and oftentimes they are, the objective truth does present itself as a challenge. But that challenge is the challenge not of crushing love, not of diminishing love, not of squashing love, but of purifying love, of refining love, of making it more itself. And the more the subjective profile of love, again to use the language of JP2, conforms to the objective profile or the objective truth of love, the more liberated we become. The truth about love is what sets us free. It's challenging because we're broken. And oftentimes when, when we're faced with that challenge, we would rather <laughs> we would rather have the truth of love conform to our feelings yeah. rather than allow our feelings to be re- challenged and refined and purified so that they come to conform with the objective truth. I'll just say one more thing, and then, Wendy, I, I want to have you shine your bright light on this. There is a, a tendency to, to su- suspicion uh, that we can have uh, towards our hearts, towards sexuality, towards eros. Uh, John Paul even speaks of the interpretation of suspicion, where we just immediately condemn everything that goes on in our hearts, and we think it's all corrupt, it's all bad, there's nothing good about it. And John Paul II says the this interpretation of suspicion is the antithesis of the meaning of life. Why? Because the meaning of life is learning to love as Jesus loves. And the interpretation of suspicion says, you know what? That's not really possible. You're so corrupt, it's just not really possible to love as Jesus loves. So you just have to squash all that's going on in your heart as bad and evil and 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 just follow these rules in a kind of dry, duty-bound way. Uh, crushing the heart is never the way of redemption. Purifying the heart redeeming the heart, refining the heart is the way of redemption. And it is really possible to have genuine relationships of love with all human beings. It is really possible. It's challenging, but it's possible. Mm. What are your thoughts, love? This is such a rich topic. It's so beautiful. I have such memories of um, how these very questions and experiencing the purification that comes through them over the years have just been, you know, some of the most um, grace-filled journeys of my heart. And I, I mean, there are too many examples to share. So I pray I share an example that's helpful to our listeners. But a really interesting thing to me is in our story that um, 
there was a time when um, we were friends, not super close friends, but um, I had this crush on you, this attraction to you, this desire, this hope. Could he be the one? And, you know, in that attraction, there was a lot of kind of looking, hoping that you were the one to fulfill all these desires in me um, and just this kind of excitement. And yet our relationship really wasn't heading that direction that anyone could see. So not at that time. Not, anyway. not then. And um, you had written a song or several songs that really touched my heart. And it came from your meditation on your own heart and God's heart and trying to learn what it means to love. And there was a, a lyric in one of your songs where you said, um, and I know it came from probably love and responsibility and theology of the body, things you were reading at the time. Uh, love is not self-satisfaction. Love means you lay down your life. And I remember singing along to that song, and I remember it sinking into my heart at deeper mm. and deeper mm. levels. Love means you lay down your life. And lay down your life. Like, that's a big one, right? Yeah, that's biggie. And I, I think I had enough sense of kind of objectivity about our relationship and who I was to you to, to realize that I wasn't anywhere close to being your wife at that point in our relationship. And so I heard those words and I, I felt in them a call to my heart to acknowledge what our relationship really was, which was just a friendship. And yet there's a love in friendship yes. that we can lay down our lives for one another as friends in a sense. And what I sensed from that was a really a great desire to intercede for you, to to pray sincerely for you, for, for God's will for your life, for rightness in your relationships, for healing for your wounds, for God's direction for you. Like all these things just became genuine prayers of my heart that that caused me to not want to insert myself in mm. your life mm. if I didn't belong there. Because mm. the, the, the grace of that praying and the willingness that kind of was prompted by the Holy Spirit to lay down my dreams for my life, in a sense, mm -hmm. lay down your life, like lay it down, lay it before the Lord and, and not grasp at it. Just let it go and allow that to inform my thoughts about you and how I um, related with you. So you're not the only one. Like there've been other people in my life that I've had to go through this process again, you know, to recognize um, how has my heart become attached to this person and desiring a relationship for my needs with this person or that person could be, you know, a friendship that I'm desiring, or it could be, you know, struggling with feelings of a uh, attraction to the opposite sex because of just wounds in my heart, hopes, dreams, whatever. Or genuine needs in your heart. Needs. Yeah. So all of that, it's just been a very helpful process. Just that simple understanding of like objectivity about what our real situation in life is, who we really are, who God really is, and what the call of love really looks like. So I hope that that is helpful to our listeners. Wendy, I'm just 
moved again. I mean, I, of course, I know this story very well, but I'm, I'm moved at a, a, a different level to hearing it again, because that experience you had when we were friends, I didn't know what was going on at the time, but you were really entering into allowing your, your feelings for me to be purified, allowing what you were experiencing towards me subjectively to conform, again, to use JP2's language, to the objective profile of love, to the objective truth of love. And there is no doubt in my mind that because you were willing to go through that, that taught you how to love me in a genuine way, and your genuine love for me lit my heart ablaze mm. with love for you. <laughs> uh, that there's no doubt about it. That this is just really interesting. All these years later, to look back at that again and see how the Lord was preparing both of us in and through that, and even you know, even in our the gift that we share on this podcast, which is usually my kind of, I give the theological answer, and then you speak more from this deep place in your heart. The head and the heart need to be integrated and properly balanced. It's not head or heart, it's head and heart. And that lyric I sang in that song came from a certain theological understanding of the truth of, of love. Right. But you took it to heart. <laughs> you took it to heart. And yeah, here we are all these years later, mm. still kind of exhibiting those same qualities. Right. And I hope in sharing that, I'm not implying, oh, here's how you get what you really wanted all along by just just do this little sneaky trick. I, I don't mean it that way. That's why I said yeah. there have been other relationships, too, that where I've had to apply this to work through those desires that are not you know, that are showing me something about my own heart most of the time, you know, that I need to open that to the Lord and let Him shine light in my heart. So, dear anonymous listener, we hope that was helpful for you, and yeah. I just want to say thank you, thank you for being a patron of our work at the TOB Institute, and I hope you are taking advantage of all the benefits we offer our patrons. Our next question is from Andrew. He says, so, for a little background... I was previously married and am in the process of civil divorce and then annulment. I was baptized Catholic, but was married outside of the church. So there was lack of form in my marriage. I was raised in the church, but with little understanding of my faith. So I fell away. I came back to faith about a year and a half ago. And since then have lived as brother and sister with my girlfriend. We've made the promise to God to live this way until marriage, if that is his will, of course, after an annulment within the church. Unfortunately, before coming to faith, I had a vasectomy. We do want to have it reversed at some point regardless, but I want to know, if we are able to get married, without the reversal, would our marriage even be valid? Bless you, Andrew. Bless you, brother. What a journey you have been on. Mm. I I feel just edified in in hearing this story of grace in your life, brother. Grace is at work mm -hmm. powerfully. I just encourage you to keep saying yes to the graces that are being poured out on you. And this desire to have this vasectomy reversal, 
demonstrates the sincerity of your will. Uh, and it is the sincerity of your will that is important here in terms of the capacity to enter marriage validly. So uh, by all means, I would suggest, highly encourage you to get the reversal as soon as possible. Um, but let's just, let's take a scenario where, uh, let's say in your case, you have a serious medical reason not to get the reversal. Um, not because of future children, but because maybe going under anesthesia, you could have an allergic reaction that could, could kill you. Okay, so the reversal is not a moral requirement because people cannot be morally required to do things that might not be possible to do. You may not have the money to get the reversal. Uh, again, you could be allergic to anesthesia and go into shock or, or die or something. I'm just making up a scenario that would paint the picture where it would be uh, not possible to, to get the reversal. Here we have to distinguish between moral evil and physical evil. And here's the example I often use. I'm sure I've used it in previous episodes here when similar questions have come up. But if, if I hate my arm and I chop it off, I am guilty of the sin of bodily mutilation, right? We're not talking about a cancerous arm that needed to be removed. I just hate my arm and I chop it off. Bodily mutilation, right? If I come to my senses, I see the evil I have done, I go to confession, I repent of it, I do my penance. As far as the East is from the West, so is my sin from me. The moral evil of bodily mutilation no longer exists. Mm, However, you. the physical evil of bodily mutilation, mut I can't even say the word, I'm mutilating the word, uh, <laughs> the physical evil of bodily mutilation still exists. What is more damaging to the human being, physical evil or moral evil? Absolutely the moral yeah, evil. Absolutely the moral evil. Again, if you have confessed the sin of the vasectomy, uh, which is not only the sin of contraception, but is also the sin of bodily mutilation, as far as the East is from the West, so is that moral evil from you. However, the physical evil still exists. If the moral evil still existed, you're, you could not enter marriage validly. If the moral evil is forgiven and no longer exists, you can enter marriage validly even if the physical evil still exists. However, let's go back to the example of my chopping my arm off. If I can restore the physical evil, I should. If my arm was put on ice and I can get it reattached, I should, right? If you can reverse the vasectomy, you should, right? But I, not, I might not be able to replace my arm. I, not, I might not be able to get the vasectomy reversal for some reason. But if you are able, you should. So, so that's, that's sound uh, moral counsel on, on that question. I hope, Andrew, that you find that helpful. Wendy, you want to share anything or add anything here? I I want to just echo what you said about grace being at work in this story. I know some of our listeners might not fully understand all that Andrew was saying about, say, lack of form or um, would the marriage be valid. 
um, I think it's kind of coming across in, in your answer about the, the sacramental understanding of marriage in the church. And for a Catholic, if you're not married in the church, it's, it's not sacramental. And it's that, that non-sacramental civil marriage is, is invalid because of that phrase, lack, lack of, of form. form. That means you're not, you haven't followed the form of the sacrament, right. meaning you don't have an official witness of the church and two other witnesses, and it's not performed right. in the church. So right. this is a very easy case of granting a declaration of nullity because it, it's null from the start when a baptized Catholic marries outside mm -hmm. the church if there's not a dispensation. Right. So uh, all of that, just looking at the story, and Andrew, it's been a hard story that you've lived through, and I appreciate your sort of just seeking um, seeking to understand your faith even more. I feel like that's what's going on in this question, and, you know, issues of our you know, something like a vasectomy are difficult to talk about in many situations. So I'm grateful that our po podcast is a place that you felt like you could ask that question. I'm sure many of our listeners wonder about these things as well. So I, I'm grateful to you for bringing it up. And I'm also, like Christopher said, inspired by your story um, being infused with grace. And thank you for the Lord, for the people in Andrew's life who've witnessed yes, to him the truth of the gospel, those who have ministered the healing power of reconciliation in his life. Thank you for his girlfriend who also is embracing the truth that sets us free and the beautiful light that already shines through this story. And the, that, that phrase in there when you said that um, we promise to God to live this way until marriage, if that is his will. Mm. That just really touched my heart. Yeah, it shows a real genuine sincerity yes. in his desire to do the Lord's will. Yes, so we're praising God for that. I'm reminded of a scripture here, Andrew. I, I hope you find it encouraging. It's certainly encouraging to me because uh, I, I, I see the gaps in my own life between what I know to be true and what I struggle with on the inside and this is just a, a, a great light from Scripture. The Lord will bring to completion the work He has begun in you. I hope that's encouraging to you, Andrew. Just thank the Lord for the work that has been begun in you. Yes. And entrust it all to the Lord and know that He will bring it to completion. Keep giving your yes. Keep going, brother. Our next question is from a listener named Josie. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Hi, Josie. Thank you so much for your beautiful ministry. It has been an incredible blessing to me as a college student. I'm currently reading Theology of the Body Explained. Oh, wow. She's going for it. That's my big honking one. <laughs> <laughs> Which has revealed so many of TOB's treasures in such an accessible way. Oh, I'm so glad. So thank you so much, Christopher. I'm wondering if you could explain the phrase, Christ fully reveals man to himself and the vital role it plays in TOB. Thank you both again. You're in my prayers. Bless you, Josie. Wow. Uh, you've given me a doctoral dissertation here. <laughs> um, in fact, the book you're reading, Theology of the Body Explained, was a big, big part of my doctoral dissertation. Uh, and I would, I would say this, 
that theology of the body itself from start to finish is an explanation of that quote from the Second Vatican Council, Jesus Christ fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. So volumes could be written, volumes have been written about what that means. Let's see if we can boil it all down into a, a, a palatable and digestible answer in just a few minutes here at the end of our podcast episode. Here we go. Drum roll, please. <laughs> okay. That sounded more like a telephone. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's give first the fuller context of the quotation from Gaudium et Spes, section 22. Gaudium et Spes is a document from the Second Vatican Council. It's Latin title. It means joy and hope. And in section 22 of that document, we read, Jesus Christ, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. So how, how does this happen? How does Jesus reveal to us who we really are? How, how does our calling become clear? By the revelation, the revealing, the making visible of the mystery of the Father and his love. So here's the basic principle of the theology of the body. The body is what reveals or is meant to reveal the mystery of God, the mystery of the Father and his love. Why did Christ come as a male? Not because God is male in the sexual sense. There is no sexual, there's no sexuality in the Godhead, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity. But the male body is the proper revelation of the mystery, the eternal mystery of the Father. And yet, that fatherhood is revealed in time. It's not that the woman is excluded, because hear this out. The eternal fatherhood of God is revealed in time through the motherhood of Mary. It is always male and female together that reveal the mystery of the Trinity, right? But Christ comes as a male because his male body is the sacramental sign of the eternal love of the Father. Why is God revealed? I mean, all these questions come up when we begin to ask the question, how does Jesus Christ fully reveal man to himself? And let us be very clear, when we say man to himself, that sense of man is the inclusive, all of us. Jesus Christ fully reveals what it means to be human, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And he fully reveals our divine uh, calling and vocation, or excuse me, calling is vocation, but calling and destiny. Our destiny is to be taken up into the eternal exchange of the Trinity. Well, what is the eternal exchange of the Trinity? It is the Father eternally generating the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who and what God is. The Catechism puts it this way beautifully. This is Catechism 221. 
God has revealed his innermost secret. God himself is an eternal exchange of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's the good part for us. He has destined us to share in that exchange. This is the fundamental truth that Christ has come to reveal about what it means to be human. Christ has come to reveal in the fullness of time, God sent his son, a male child born of a woman, always male and female together that reveal the mystery. What mystery? That God is an eternal exchange of life-giving love, and we are destined to share in that exchange. This is the greatest gift that God could possibly give us, the invitation to participate in his own ecstasy. That's, that's what it means to be human. Josie, this is who and what you are. This is your deepest identity. This is your deepest calling. This is your supreme vocation and destiny, Josie. You are called by God, created by God, to share in the ecstasy of the Trinitarian life. This is what Christ came to reveal. This is what Christ came to show us. This, this is what it means that Jesus Christ fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. Who is Christ? He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the beneficiary, the eternal beneficiary of the eternal love of the Father poured out in the Holy Spirit. What is the call of our humanity? Why do we exist? Because God the Father wants to share that same love that he has shared with the Son for all eternity with each and every one of us. Now, it could just sound like theological ideas, and, and forgive me, as a theologian, I, I, I tend to think in these terms, but here's, here's another way to say it. Christ came to reveal to you, Josie, that there is a banquet that corresponds to the deepest hunger of your heart. There is a feast of love that corresponds to our hunger for love. There is a fountain of living water that corresponds to our deep thirst for life, for love, for joy, for happiness. This is what Christ came to reveal, that the deep ache of our hearts is not thrown out into a void in the universe. That deep cry of our hearts will be filled to overflowing with all the fullness of of God. Christ became that infinite food, that infinite feast that satisfies the hunger of our hearts. He came to reveal in his flesh the eternal love of the Father and thus show us the love that we are made for, which is our supreme calling. I love that. And when I think about that quote from Gaudium et Spes, which because I'm married to a theologian, I, I do sometimes. I don't know if I ever would have encountered it otherwise, but here I am. Thank you, Lord. Uh, that, that closing part about and makes his supreme calling clear, I think, is what most touches my heart 
although it's all very beautiful and essential. It's just that um, that sense of human life has meaning. Mm. And we have such a, um, you know, just our experience as fallen human beings living in a world full of fallen human beings that can be discouraging and dis- causing despair. And there are people who say who would want to bring a child into this yes, world yes, with yes. all its sufferings or with how human beings are somehow destroying the environment or some other negative kind of understanding of what it means to be a human being. And so that sense of like the eternal God chose to become human to show us being human is a gift is has this incredible potential has this like life givingness in the most surprising kinds of ways if we look at the life of Jesus that it's just such an injection of of hope and purpose when i hear those words i just read at the end of an an essay that voitira wrote in 1974 uh he says the truth about the trinity is revealed in and through the human body, the body of Christ. The body of Christ reveals the truth about the Trinity. What, what is that truth that the body of Christ reveals? That God is self-giving love. God is life-giving love. That's what the body of Christ reveals. This is my body given up for you. The body reveals a call to holy communion. God is holy communion. And in revealing, when Christ reveals the truth about who God is as Holy Communion, he's also revealing the full truth of who we are as human beings. We are human beings made in the image of God, which means we are called to Holy Communion. Not only Holy Communion with one another, uh, in and through marriage and other human relationships, but Holy Communion with God. <laughs> we, we, are, we are dust destined to be divinized. <laughs> That's what it means that Jesus Christ fully reveals man to himself. We are dust, yes indeed, but we are dust destined to be divinized. Glory be to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that supreme calling. Thank you. And thank you to all of you out there who are listening to this podcast. We hope it's enriching to you. Uh, if it, if this episode has blessed you, we encourage you to share. Uh, hit that share button and and share it with somebody who needs to hear it. Keep the questions coming, and until our next episode, may you know it in your bones that you are destined, destined by God to be this gift of life-giving love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.